morning. It's good to see each and every one of you here. Welcome. Um, thank you, Brother Josh, for that word. Very prevalent to the times. Delight yourself in the Lord, or there's so much competition for ourselves to delight in other things. Amen. Today, uh, my message I want to bring to you is entitled, Our Daily Work for God. And it's a very practical message, like I want to bring all my messages, something they can plug in on a daily basis. Our daily work for God, and how, how does that work? How can we work daily for God? We will use, um, I want you all to open up your Bibles in 2 Colossians chapter 3, and I will stay in that chapter for the entirety. And we will look at the first 17 verses in Colossians 3. So I'll give you a little bit of time to get there. Colossians chapter 3. I'll read it first, and then we'll go back, and I want to spend a little bit of time with each verse um, up to verse 17. And this was especially in light of the young people that have committed or recommitted themselves to God as of late, and for everyone, including myself. I was really also very touched with these words and reminded again how important it is. Uh, verse 1, If you then be risen with Christ, seek these things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. For you are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, shall appear, then shall you also appear with him in glory. Mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is adultery. For which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience, in the which ye also walked some time when ye lived in them. But now ye also put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, Blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing that ye have put off the old man and his deeds, and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. Where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness, of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do you. And above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also you are called in one body, and be ye thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatsoever you do in the word, whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, 
giving thanks to God and the Father by him. Amen. So we'll start with verse 1. And I'm not going to expound and make a Matthew Henry commentary out of all these verses. Um, I just want to go through them and speak briefly on what they, what they are telling me. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things that are above, not on things of the earth. This is very simple. It's black and white, and we all have an understanding what that means. If you are born again, if you are a Christian, you will seek spiritual things, heavenly things, things that are godly and that you can bring to eternity. Not things in your former life when you serve the flesh. These things that will burn, melt, crush, rust, wear out, and become obsolete. All these things are, in, are important for a time in our daily workings. But we don't have our hearts on them. We don't dwell on them. We don't spend too much time on them. So we invest in people. We invest in children. And we make a difference. We help make other, a difference in other people's lives. Verse 3. For you are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. For you are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. This is not suggesting that you are dead, or that you will become dead. This, this says, for you are dead. This is final. Really? Where did I sign up for that? I am dead. I never sign up for that. Well, if you didn't, then you can't really call yourself a Christian. As soon as you told God to save you from your sins, you signed up to no longer serve your sin. Meaning your will, your old life, you have become dead to it. Christ will give you a new life. New friends, new desires, new joys, everything changes. Your life is hidden in God. God looks at you and sees Christ. You are in the shadow of Christ now. You are covered in the blood of the Lamb. You are bought with a price to no longer serve self but God. You are hid in God. And I will mention, I'll come back to this terminology a lot today, that you are hid in God. That means you are dead, you're buried, and Christ encapsulates you you are living for God when God looks at you when you stand before him he will not see you but he will see Christ he will see the blood of the lamb on you because you are hid and shadowed by Christ now we need to live a life worthy of it through the power of the Holy Ghost it is not it is not an effort made entirely by ourselves even though it requires our effort. The Holy Spirit tells us what we need to do and we need to be obedient to it. And it will not always be with joy, but we make a decision though, and joy comes because of that decision. Verse 4. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. Because we are hid in Christ... 
we will resurrect like Christ. It is the only way we will receive the resurrection, through Christ who is alive in us, no longer ourselves, but God. We will appear in glory through him was resurrected already. It, it works. Resurrection works. It happened with God. It happened to Jesus Christ. He was, he was resurrected out of that body, that, that cloth that wound him hundreds of feet around him. It was laying there. It was sunken in. Jesus resurrected out of it. He resurrected out of the rocks that held him in the cave. And Jesus removed the stone so others could walk in and see that miracle. Not that Jesus needed it to get out of these rocks. We will appear in, him, in glory through him who was resurrected already. Hallelujah. Uh, verse, verse 5. Mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Mortifying literally means to deaden, to be dead, to be to put to death. Not very nice, but that is what you sign up for. Put to death the carnal things that reign in our carnal fleshly beings. Sexual immorality, impurity, letting evil thoughts control your mind evil desires, and greed. This is literally idol worship. All these things are now dead. And they are further expounded in Romans chapter 6, if you want to read it on your own. Verse 6. For which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience. If we die in our carnal flesh, not being hid in Christ, we will be exposed and invite the wrath of justice of God on our neck. Now, how can we neglect so great a salvation? We have our opportunities now while we breathe. We will not have that opportunity once we die. You will have the full wrath of God reigning on your neck because you threw him in the ditch. And God will not necessarily force you into his presence to live with him. You chose to walk away from him. God will not force you into his presence. How can we neglect so great of a salvation which was gifted to us? Verse 7. In the which you also walked some time when you lived in them. This indeed is the way we walked at one time, but no longer, but we no longer serve the flesh and its loss. Things have changed, and they need to stay changed. We are no longer hitting Christ if we don't repent of the old life. And that can come back at any time. That is, as it is threatening to do every day, as we know. <laughs> Verse 8. But now put ye also off all these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, Filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds. These are, these are works of the flesh. All those are dead and need to be buried. Verse 10. And I've put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. 
Amen. You have put on the new man by mortifying it, by putting it to death, by, allow, by allowing the Holy Spirit to come in when he convicted you of sin and self-seeking heart that, was, that reigned in your being. You turned from your sin. You chose to walk to God. You open up your heart to God. And you have therefore put on the new man by doing that. Verse 11. Where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Christ's gift is for all men, including all of us. We were grafted into that lineage. It was supposed to be for the Jews only. But God extended his bowels of mercies. And that is the mystery of Christ, that it was given to all men. <coughs> we were grafted in. Let us be thankful that that gift was extended to us. We don't, certainly don't deserve it. Verse 12. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another, if any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do you. And to get a full understanding, we have to look back at 11, who with such great sin, with such great mercy and compassion, he extended his love towards us. How much more should we forgive our fellow man? We have mortified the deeds of the carnal body and put on daily by the grace of God, the workings of the new man, Christ in us. He fills us a heart of compassion, a heart of kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Christ does that in us, but we need to choose. We choose. We bear one another and forgive one another. A person that does not open his heart to forgive cannot be a house for the Holy Ghost to live in. He cannot do these workings in us. He cannot do these workings of mercies, kindness, humbleness, meekness, long-suffering. He will not do these workings if we don't open up our hearts to forgive one another. It is our choice. Christ is willing and able to do that work, but we need to open that, that door. We have many reasons to be bitter. But in reality, we don't. Not if we look at what Christ has done for us. Christ has every reason to be bitter against us. But look what he did. He forgave us. Let us therefore forgive others. Verse 14. And above all these things put on charity. Put on love which is the bond of perfectness. And most of all, we chose, we choose and yield ourselves to God and put on love. Love rounds all the corners where there is still lacking in us. Nobody is perfect, and there is more work to be done in all of us. The love of Christ will not tolerate sin, but will look at the imperfections in our fellow brothers and sisters and see beyond that and love them. Love perfects. I bet... In all of you or in some of you, there might be some things you have against me. I, don't, I, I might not even know these things, 
you have not revealed it to them, but I have offended for some reason or another, I might have offended someone. This is where love comes in. You can either choose to, to love and forgive and, or you can choose if it's continually bothering you to come to me and, and tell me how this is still offending you so I can correct it. Or you can choose, hey, he didn't mean it. He probably doesn't even know it. I'll just forget it. Don't worry about it. He didn't have. This is the love that this is talking about. Love perfects. Love forgives. We are all imperfect. This really spoke to me. We need to love. And, and Christ in us, the Holy Spirit, chooses to love. If we yield to him, he wants to love. If we release him, he wants to love. He wants to forgive. But it is our carnal mind that said, he did this to me and I cannot let it go. This needs to be made right. Yeah, sometimes it does need to be made right, but we still need to forgive. Put on love. Amen. Verse 15. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also you are called in one body, and be ye thankful. Letting the peace of God rule is deciding to follow Christ by obeying the Holy Spirit in us. He is the author who then gives us this peace. You, you were all together in one body to have this peace. Importantly, always be thankful. Thankfulness is a byproduct of the Holy Spirit in you, in us. If we find ourselves unthankful, bickering, anxious, critical, watch out. You need the peace of God in your hearts. Seek the Lord in prayer to clothe you once again with his peace. Verse 16. That the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. We all know what that means. That means to be filled with the word of God, to absorb ourselves in the word of God and in prayer. This is the primary way to put on Christ daily, by dwelling on the word through reading and meditation. Not only to read the book, the word of God. It should be alive. It will overflow into the lives of other human beings. We will also teach and admonish one another. With, its, with it as we work and spend time with the people we spend time with. Verse 17. And, and I will spend a lot of time on this verse. Whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. Brethren, whatsoever that we are doing, whatsoever we are doing, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, meaning we no longer are doing it for ourselves, but for Christ. This means from the time we get up in the morning, we are not working for ourselves any longer. We have been bought with a price. We are hid in Christ. We cannot pick and choose which moments of the day we work for Christ. If our life is hid in Christ, whatsoever we do needs to be worthy of being hid in Christ. This means we cannot put more weight on certain mundane tasks and activities over others because they are all important to God. 
They are all important to us as we do them because they serve a purpose. The daily mundane tasks are important to the master to, to be able, they're important to master, to overcome, to be able to work with other people, to learn to be prompt, to learn to be productive, to learn to be faithful. Jesus walked faithfully with his brethren for 30 years before God gave him his next assignment. The former assignment was as important as the latter. Let's dig into this concept a little bit. Zach Poonin explained it like this. Our work for God must flow out of our worship of God. Our work for God must flow out of our worship of God. There needs to be genuine life to produce genuine work for God. If we are to work for God every moment, our life has to be hid in Christ every moment. Many, many people often think of certain work for God as Christian work, like ministry or teaching or witnessing. This frame of mind has seeped into our congregation and has wreaked havoc in many ways in Altona. Young people cannot find purpose anymore because they're not doing certain work for God, forgetting from the moment they got up that work started. And I will dig into this concept here, so bear with me. Was Jesus working for God only for three and a half years? Who was he working for the other 30 years? We will not and should not use these 30 years that Jesus was almost silent as a crutch for personal inactivity for the rest of our lives. We will not and should not use the 30 years that Jesus walked here on earth, and he was almost silent as a crutch for our personal inactivity for the rest of our lives. But we should see God on what work Christ has for us. We will also not get excited by other members calling and pretending the right hand is the little appendix. We need to get a handle on a right perspective on this very important topic. At the end of the 33 years and a half years, Jesus said in, in John chapter 17, verse 4, I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. Uh, some more modern versions say, by completing down to the last detail the work that you assigned me to do. So if we believe that the Father loves us like he loved Jesus, then there is a work that God is assigned for you and me to do. Just like this old hymn written by Elsie Duncan Yale in 1912, it says there is a work for Jesus that none but you can do. It goes like this. There's a work for Jesus ready at your hand. Tis a task the master just for you has planned. Haste to do his bidding, yield him service true. There's a work for Jesus none but you can do. And there's the refrain, work for Jesus day by day, serve him ever, falter never, Christ obey. Yield him, serve as loyal, true, there's a work for Jesus none but you can do. Do we believe this? Do you believe in the utmost of your heart there's a work for you to do as a Christian that none but you can do? 
If we look at the body of Christ as an example, yes. Our body is made up of many, many members. And some members, there's only one thing that you can do. And every member has an important function. We can live with a lot of these members. But it wouldn't be the same. Our bodies would act differently. We'd become cripples. We'd end up in a wheelchair. Or we'd have be on life support. Nobody else can do that function quite like you can. I believe that. That's what the Bible calls it, the, the church, the body of Christ. Each member of the body has a function, and a specific function. The eyes, the ears, the hands, the legs, even the little toes. You can't stand properly if you don't have these little toes. That you know your stability comes from these ten little toes. You can't despise them. When even one is missing, it will greatly affect your stability. What is our attitude about these toes? If we are the hands or mouth, do not take for granted these little toes. Give them honor. Encourage them. Recognize them. If you had feet without those ten toes, you wouldn't be able to stand or walk properly. Brethren, every little thing in the body... Every little person in the body has a function. There are some brethren like this small little toe. He brings stability to the body. He or she rounds up the corners. He makes things easier. You walk with more smoothness instead of a visible limp. Then there's the internal organs. Most that we don't see. There are many members of the body of Christ who might never come up to the pulpit. Who you never see. Don't they have a work like all the external parts of the body? The heart, the liver, the kidney, and many other small members. Every single one has their function. Even the appendix. At the doctors for the longest time thought it had no function, but was taught to be a leftover evolutionary tissue. Lo and behold, it's now discovered by Duke University Medical Center to produce and store good microbes for the human gut. I'm fairly certain it has more than that, but our science hasn't caught up to God's science. There is nothing in the human body that God created without a function. We mere humans may not have discovered it, but there is an important function in every part of the, hu of the human body, every single part. If that could be true to the, of the physical body, it is true for the spiritual body. So, if you are born again, you are part of Christ's body. If you don't have a body, then go find one. You cannot operate by yourself. You need a body to surround, especially in this day. You need Christ's body around you. You must remember there is a part that you have to fulfill. It may be visible. It may be something that brings honor before men, or it may not bring honor before men. You will still get your reward from God. The point I want to stress is that if you don't fulfill that particular function, then either somebody else's work becomes double or God's work is hindered. If my left hand is paralyzed, the right hand has to do the work of two hands. If my left leg is paralyzed, I have to keep hopping on my right, foot, right leg, and my right leg has to do all the work. 
So that often happens in the body of Christ. Unfortunately, there are many people, perhaps many sitting here, who have not taken seriously their responsibilities in the body of Christ. They are not gripped by the fact that you have a function to fulfill in the body of Christ. We cannot sit in the church all of our lives without some spiritual service that we can fulfill in the body. It's important for you to remember from the day that you are born again until the day that you die or until Christ comes again, that you'll be taken up. But until the last day of your earthly life, there's a function that God wants you to fulfill. Now, what that function is becomes the, the, the biggest question. Even if we reach 90 years old, God still has a function for you to fulfill until the last day of our earthly life. If we truly believe this principle, we will not remain the same. Never give in to the devil's voice that says, God has nothing for me to do. I'm not as gifted as my fellow brothers or sisters. I'm not really useful. Don't be like the one that received the one talent and went and buried it because he looked at the one with five and said, oh boy, I don't have what he has and keeps comparing himself with others and keeps getting discouraged and buries his talent by doing nothing in the church. You still have an important function to fulfill. Think of some of the internal organs in our body. Think of the heart. We don't think about it, but it keeps pumping. What if the heart decided it wasn't appreciated enough and would just relax us? The whole body would die. There are invisible parts inside our body, and thankfully, they don't relax. They keep on functioning because they are not doing it for honor. They are doing it for the head. The head tells the kidney, kidneys, the liver, the heart, and every part of the body to keep functioning, and they're not concerned whether you see it or not. They obey the head. This is a wonderful picture of the church, the body of Christ. Each person is connected to the head, and the head's given me a burden to do something, and you do it. I trust the head has given you a burden to do something. You may not have a prominent place like some other parts of the body, but if the head chose to give you that function, blessed are those who are happy and content with it. This local body is the best place in the world to discover what that function is, no matter how small. God has given you a function. Exercise it. Strengthen it. It will grow. More than likely, the functions will multiply and become more. The problem with Lucifer was he wasn't happy with the position God gave him. He wanted something more prominent. He thought he could do more. He was discontented. He, he wanted something else. His life was destroyed because he wanted to be the brain. He wanted to be the head. He was not content by being the right hand. He already had an important function. There can only be one brain, that is Christ. No person, no leader, no church can be the head but Christ. Ephesians 4.15, I'll quickly read that. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplied, according to the factual working 
in the measure of every part, make an increase of the body into the edifying of itself in love. Christendom has generally been promoted by outstandingly gifted personalities. Um, we can think of many of these gifted personalities um, from present, past, and future, and made God's work depend on a few outstanding personalities. Great speakers, great storytellers, able to captive, captivate masses of people and get them back every Sunday. I'm not going to mention any names, but you all know the gist of what I'm seeing. Such churches are not building the body of Christ. They are building congregations. Nowadays, you hear particularly in our country, mega churches, churches with 10,000 to 30,000 people coming to listen to one man. It's like a massive cinema theater where everything is centered around one man. Once you remove him from that scene, those congregations will disappear overnight. They're not interested in anything else. Their head is not Christ. Their head is this man who, had, who they come to listen to every Sunday. Sometimes it gets to the point where the people can't even fit into this particular auditorium or stadium. So wherever they meet nowadays, they have videos filming him and projecting him via cable or internet to some other parts of the world. So that in some places they gather together 500 people in the hall to watch a screen. So it's not just 30,000 here. There are thousands everywhere and millions on TV. And a lot of people depend on that TV every year, every day for church, every Sunday. They just tune in. That is not the church. That is not the body. Maybe sometimes it's the beginning of something, which is good. Maybe to hear the gospel for the first time. That's good. But hopefully it doesn't end there. The point is, it's all centered around one person. That's not the body of Christ. Those people sitting there have no connection with each other. They don't even know them. It's like when you're sitting at a twins game. You don't know who the folks are sitting next to you. The next Sunday you come and there, the same thing happens. There's different people. The church building is so huge, you don't know but a handful of people. Most churches have gone astray from this pattern that's been revealed in the New Testament where each individual part has got a function. Brethren, there are very few church settings that you can get to know the brethren as intimately as our local fellowship and like-minded ones. These types of churches can be precious. They can be. If these principles are realized by both the leaders and the lay people, Let's be thankful for this. We not only each other know each other intimately, we know if someone has had a bad day because we see and recognize a change. Once we start to take for granted our fellow brother or sister and don't realize their full potential, we can zone them out and start acting exclusive to just certain members. Such a body can start becoming full of diseases and factions and splits. Every born-again brother or sister has a spiritual function in the church body. I took the liberty to write down 
perhaps 13 things that you could do. Maybe your calling is for a time being until the Lord exercises you or you exercise yourself unto more, until you discover more, until the church discovers more. Number one, ask the Lord in prayer what you could do to help and expand your function in the body. That is the number one thing you need to do is ask the Lord what your function is. He will reveal it. Number two, ask the church leaders if they see a function you could do and be a blessing to others. This is very important. Other people see gifts more clearly than you yourself do. I've always been a big advocate of that, asking the brethren, the church leaders, what they see in you, functions that you could do in the body. Three, share your testimony to other youth. Share your testimony with friends and people that need encouragement. Talking also about a daily testimony, not one that happened at one time. Number four, spend time, quality time, and listen to other people in your congregation you normally don't. Number five, giving a hand to your brother or sister in whatever ways you can help. Number six, observe. Ask if you can help someone with their children. Number seven, observe. Ask if you can help someone with their housework, cleaning, helping, and serving. Now, these are all mundane tasks. Yes, absolutely, they are. That's where it starts. This is the Lord's way. How can he trust you with big things if you're not faithful in little things? You have to learn. Number eight, sing for the elderly. Serve the elderly. Listen to them. There's lots to be gleaned from them. Number nine, if you insist that the local congregation is so saturated, look outside the body. Look for opportunities around Henderson, Arlington areas where you could be a blessing. I'm big with starting in Jerusalem. You don't have to travel an hour to find needs to help to reach out. You can travel for 15 minutes or five minutes. Uh, 10. A young sister might write into Altona announcements on Telegram that you are available for service if anybody needs a babysitter, a floor washer, or is lonely for fellowship. Or start a group where the church shares practical needs that the young people have time to fulfill. Let the church know that you are available. That's important. Let the church know that you are available somehow. Or randomly show up with a bucket and wash rags to your fellow sister's house. Try it. I challenge you. Try it. In your inner circle, no matter how much you think you know about Jesus, or how little you know about Jesus, there are other people that know less. Guaranteed. There are other people that know less, even if you think you don't have a big understanding of the Lord. There are people that know even less. Your relatives, your friends, your neighbors, maybe a shopkeeper who you regularly buy something. These people you can help influence, befriend, share as you gain relationships. Twelve, there's a work for Jesus that only you can do. Keep that in mind. All of us have perhaps four or five people that only we know 
or perhaps we are the only ones that they are close to and interact with. God needs you to share or encourage the love of Christ to these few people. Let it grow from there. 13. For God so loved the world that he sent me into the world to reach, encourage, and uplift these few people I'm interacting with and help change them for the kingdom and eternity. In closing, I want to encourage you that there is a work for you to do in that little world the Lord has placed you. For you to do this work, you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. To go back to where we started in Colossians 3, being risen with Christ, to be hid in Christ, to have our hearts filled with the word. And then finally, this verse 17, whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. Amen.